0: This is the Victory Podcast. Every week, we'll share an inspiring message about God's grace and forgiveness for you wherever you're at in life. Your victory starts now. Well, as we conclude this sermon series on relationships, we're going to look at the relationship of friendship, and so we're going to see what Solomon says in the book of Ecclesiastes, chapter 4, beginning in verse 9. Two are better than one... "'because they have a good return for their labor. "'If either of them falls down, one can help the other up. "'But pity anyone who falls and has no one to help them up. "'Also, if two lie down together, they will keep warm. "'But how can one keep warm alone? "'Though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. "'A cord of three strands is not quickly broken.'" This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for gathering us around your word. We pray that you would give us ears to hear your word and hearts to believe your word and help us to leave here stronger Christians than the ones that came. And don't let anything I'm doing get in the way of the work of your spirit. In your name we pray, amen. If you had to make one life choice right now, In order to improve your future health and happiness, what would it be? This is the opening question in a recent book called The Good Life. And this book is based on an 84-year-old study, longitude study done by Harvard on health and wellness. And in this study, they studied uh, 724 people beginning in 1938. Now, 268 of them were college or Harvard college students, and then the other 456 were from the inner city of Boston, and they wanted to follow them as long as they could, and somehow they got the funding and, and kept it going for 84 years, and it's still going on today. And they studied every different area of their life and kept track of them and, and wanted to see what is really essential for our long-term health and happiness. So what do you think it is? How would you answer that question? If you had to make one decision right now to enable you to have future health and happiness, what would it be? Maybe you think, well, I need to eat right and exercise. I need to take care of my body. And and that's important. We need to take care of our our health. The Bible says that our bodies are a temple of, of the Holy Spirit. But they found that that wasn't the most essential thing for your future health and happiness. Well, maybe you think, well, if I could just get that promotion at work or get that new job and make a little bit more money. Well, financial stability is a good thing, and making more money is not necessarily bad. But in this study, they tracked people who made a lot of money, and they tracked people who made very little money, and how much money you made had a very little impact on how happy you and fruitful you were. Well, maybe you think, well, if I could just accomplish that goal, if I, if I just could, could reach that milestone that I want to reach. me, write that book or start that business or do that one thing. Well, they found that, that yeah, finding purpose in your life and reaching that goal, it's not a bad thing, but that's not what is essential for our health and happiness. So what do you think it was? After looking at all of the data, 84 years and still going, there was one thing that stood out among all the other things. What is the most important thing in your health and happiness? Good relationships, they say. Good relationships keep us healthier and happier, period. That's what they found. It was essential. It was the one thing, the one factor that they could see really determine your long-term health and happiness. Unfortunately... This is not something that we're prioritizing in our modern-day culture. I just happened to run across another study this past week, and it was a study done by the American Perspective Study, and here was the title of the article. It kind of caught my eye, obviously, thinking about this upcoming sermon. The, The title of the article was, The number of close friends that Americans have has declined over the past several decades. Now, it's kind of hard to see on the screen, but what they found is that back in 1990, when they studied people, they found that 3% of the population said they had no friends. But then back in 1990, 33% of the population said they had 10 or more friends. Now, fast forward to 2021, and those numbers have almost flipped. That today... 12% 12% of the population say they have no friends, and only 13% of the population said they have 10 or more friends. Now, as I look at my own life, I can see that I think these statistics are, are pretty accurate. I think about my parents' generation, I know they had much more deep friendships than, than I have, and then I think about my grandparents'. Generation and they had much deeper friendships than my parents had. And there's all sorts of reasons for this. There, there's environmental reasons, there's social reasons, there's cultural reasons for this. There's all sorts of factors. For example, especially in our culture here in the, the greater Franklin area, uh, we, our whole lives, are designed for efficiency and success and, and wealth and Financial, financial success. That's why we get up early. We maybe run to the gym for a quick class and go work as hard as we can, as long as we can. And then exhausted, we, we pull into our garage. that's attached to our house. We close the garage and watch Netflix until we pass out, right? Not exactly set up for relationships. And then we might may, may look at our lives and say, well, I have all sorts, I have a thousand friends online, and yet... You might have a thousand digital friends, but how many people could you really call in a time of crisis? And then on top of that, we think about how mobile our society is. I think about just even my own life. I went to college in New Orleans, Minnesota, and then went to Mequon. Then my first call was to serve a congregation in Orlando, Florida. We were there for a few years, and then we, we moved to Winona for a few years, and now we've been here in Franklin. Every time you move as a mobile society, you have to start all over with relationships. So those are all cultural, environmental and reasons, but I think there's something even deeper theologically And spiritually, the reality that friendships are hard. Friendships take sacrifice. Friendship takes, um, it takes sacrifice. And sometimes when you open yourself up to people, you could get hurt. And the Bible says that we are by nature selfish and self centered and self righteous. And so it can be very hard to make those kind of sacrifices to make meaningful relationships and friendships. And so, Today, we're continuing and closing out our sermon series on relationships called The Grace Between Us. And it was great that there was this Harvard study on on relationships and all the things that they found. But the reality is, as Christians, we don't really need a study to tell us this. Um, it's part of our theology. It's part of, of biblical theology. It's part of our, our whole spiritual story that relationships are important. It's on the very first page of the Bible where it says, it is not good for man to be alone, that, that we were not designed to be alone. And then we see throughout the scriptures how important friendship is. And then when Jesus comes to rescue the world, what does Jesus do? He doesn't um, get an army or, or start a political campaign or start a business or go to school. What does Jesus do to change the world? He grabs a group of friends. And then when the, the New Testament church starts, it's not about your, just your personal relationship with Jesus. It's about coming into the family of God, building a community of people. And so we want to look at this not just psychologically, but theologically. And here's the question I want to answer today. Why is friendship so important? And to answer that question, we're going to go back to that reading from Ecclesiastes. Um, now, as I was studying Ecclesiastes and everything it says about friendship, uh, I, I came up with four things, and they just so happened, I didn't mean to do this, came up with an acronym, ACEs. And so we're going to look at the ACEs of friendship and why it's so very important. Now, the, the book of Ecclesiastes has to be one of my favorite books in the Bible, It was written by Solomon, and Solomon was the son of David, King David, and and David really set up his son uh, to flourish. Uh, It was a time of peace because David defeated all of Solomon's enemies, and so Solomon had wealth. He had success, he had wisdom, he had all the pleasure that you could want, he had all the accomplishment that you could want, and he looks back on his life and he writes this book, the book of Ecclesiastes, and he says, it's all hevel. Hevel is the Hebrew word that means um, brief or a mist. Um, it's the same word that's, the, that's kind of the root word of, of Abel, or the story of Cain and Abel and Abel's brief life. And very often, uh, this word is translated meaningless, which is not necessarily a bad translation. And so Solomon is looking at his life, all of his accomplishments, all the money he made, all the success he had. He's looking at all these different things, and he says it all feels meaningless. It doesn't seem to matter. It doesn't, I can't really hold on to all these things. And yet there are a few things, these gifts of God, that bring meaning to life. And one of those things, according to Solomon, is friendship. And so he's going to talk, tell us really why friendship is so important, why it's worth the investment, why we really need it. Here's what he says. Two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. Now in this verse, Solomon really describes what friendship is all about. They have a united labor. Uh, They have a united vision. They have a united value system. And and they're united around something. C.S. Lewis, in his book, The Four Loves, he talks about different kinds of relationships. And he says when you have a romantic relationship, you are infatuated with the person. And so your relationship is one that's face-to-face. And then he says, but, but when you have a friendship, a friendship starts when two people look at the same thing. They look at something else outside of themselves, some common interest, some common truth, some common value. And they say, hey, you two, I thought I was the only one. And so friendship is when you have this common interest, this common labor, this common mission. You do this together. And then Solomon says, when you do that together, when you're on mission together, when you have this common value, two are better than one. You get a a much greater return on your labor. And I've seen this in my own life. A few years ago, uh, when my son was at football practice, during football practice, I would bring my bike and I would bike around or do some exercises during the practice. And then another father named Josh, he said, You like to exercise too? I thought I was the only one. And so during practice, it looked kind of goofy. We would bring our bike and we'd bike, but then we got really extreme. We brought weights and we started doing workouts in the parking lot during our son's football practice. And this started this friendship that's been going on for the last few years. And every day, almost every day, we do the same workout. We text each other what workout we're going to do and we hold each other accountable. And here's what I found. When I just work out by myself without any kind of accountability, I don't go as far. But whenever I work out with my friend or we hold each other accountable, I go way farther farther than I ever could because two are better than one. We hold each other accountable. Now, that just isn't when it comes to our physical health or any other kind of thing. It happens in all different areas of our life, even especially spiritually. I think about uh, some of the early apostles, Peter and and Paul, and how they were united in the common vision. They had this friendship. They wanted to reach people for Jesus, to, to encourage people all over the world. And yet Peter, as time went on, he started getting prejudiced, going back to old prejudices, and he stopped hanging out with the Gentiles and only hung out with his Jewish people. And so Paul, being a good friend, held him accountable. He says, we have this common vision to reach people, and you are not acting according to our friendship. You're not acting according to our vision. What you're doing is not right. Holding each other accountable. That's the power of friendship. I I think about a good friend that I had, have, And an incredible Christian man, but he started hanging out with some people that he used to hang out with in high school. And all of a sudden, he started relapsing into old high school ways, and I had to call him accountable. I said, if you keep doing that, you're going to lose your job. You're going to lose your family. You're going to lose everything. We have this common vision of what life was supposed to do, and when we work together, we go farther, and that's why we need friendship. And so why is friendship so important? The first A is accountability. Accountability, holding each other accountable. We share that same vision and we hold each other that same vision. Man, we can go so much farther than when we go alone. Solomon goes on, he says in verse 10, if either of them falls down, one can help the other up, but pity anyone who falls and has no one to help them up. Now, Solomon assumes that we're going to fall down, that, that nobody's going to have a perfect walk in life, that, that we're going to fall down. And, and lots of times, the reason we fall is our own sin, our own selfishness. Now, we think, oh, man, if I put, got myself here, I can get myself up. I can, you know, when I fall down, I can pick myself up by my own bootstraps. But that's not how it works. I mean, if you really fall down, if you like break your leg and fall down, you're not going to be able to pick yourself up. If you're drowning, you're not going to be able to save yourself. We need people who love us enough to pick us back up, to show us compassion. I think about David, Solomon's father, who did fall. He had a great fall. Uh, in his arrogance, and his selfishness, and his self-righteousness, he committed adultery with a woman named Bathsheba, where he took advantage of her. And then in his arrogance and selfishness and self-righteousness, he tried to cover up that sin by getting rid of her husband, Uriah. Well, thank God that David had a good friend named Nathan who held him accountable. He held him accountable to the values of our Lord God and called him out. And then David, overwhelmed with guilt, overwhelmed with shame, had this great fall into into, into sadness and guilt and shame, and Nathan showed him compassion and picked him back up again, like a good friend does. I think about that in my own life. I remember confessing my sin to a good friend, and my good friend, he said this. He said, when you bury your sin at the foot of the cross, don't be like a dog that digs up their old bones. Don't go and dig those back up that has been forgiven and forgotten at the foot of the cross. Because that's what good friends do. And so why is friendship so important? The next letter, the C, is compassion. When we fall, they show us the compassion of Jesus and pick each other back up. Now Solomon goes on. Verse 11, he says, Also, if two lie down together, they will keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? Now Solomon is continue to talk in, uh, in metaphors. But it made me think of when I was younger and we would go camping as a family. And if you went real camping real early in the season or real late in the season, it could get pretty cold at night. And so what do you do when you're tent camping? You, you connect all the, the, the sleeping bags together so that your body heat would warm each other up. And I don't think Solomon is necessarily talking about camping here. I think he's probably talking about how we warm each other up emotionally and spiritually, how we encourage one another. I think about the story of the Apostle Paul, and he knows he's about to die. And so he reaches out to his his friend, Timothy, the one he's been training to be a pastor. And he tells Timothy, I see something in you. I see gifts in you. God has given you gifts, and I want you to fan those gifts into flame. He gave him encouragement. I think about people who, who said things to me that I never, you know, I never thought about myself, like you can write or you can preach and things that I never thought that I could do or never saw value in, but it was other people who gave me that encouragement because that's what friends do. And so... The next letter, why is friendship so important? We warm each other up. We encourage each other when we can't see our own way. Psalm goes on, verse 12. Though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. This makes me think of uh, when I've traveled abroad. When you go to places where you're not really familiar with, with the community or not really familiar where you're going, they always tell you... Uh, don't walk alone, especially at night. Especially if you're in a foreign country, you stick out like a sore thumb. You're an easy target for criminals. And so if you're going to go out walking, uh, make sure you go in pairs because two can defend themselves. That's just common sense, but I think it's even more important when it comes to friendship when you're being under attack. And, and this happened again with Solomon's father, uh, David. Before David became a king, uh, he had a, an incredible friendship with Jonathan. Really, if you want to see the treatise on friendship, look at the story of Jonathan and David. Now, Jonathan's father, King Saul, was the king at the time, and he was jealous of young David, who was rising in credibility and success as he took out Goliath, and he was getting well-known. And so Saul felt very jealous against David and was threatening him, but David's friend Jonathan stood in the way and defended him and supported him and let David know when his dad dad was coming after him and where to escape to and what to do because that's what friends do. Friends support each other. And I think about times when I've been under attack by different people and I've had good friends who who were there supported me and encouraged me and gave me a different perspective because that's what friends do. And so the last letter and why friends are so important is support. They defend you. They support you when you're under attack. Now, nothing I've said here is rocket science. Uh, you probably didn't necessarily need me to preach this sermon. You already knew that, that friendship has these values. You already probably knew these aces intuitively. And yet, although we might know these intuitively, we don't always see the value, or we don't always want to take the risk of friendship. Because friendship's hard. It takes time. You're going to open yourself up, be vulnerable, and that gives the opportunity to get hurt. And we can be so, again, selfish and self-centered and self-absorbed that we don't want to take the time to invest in other people and to make sacrifices for other people. And so that's why I think we need this last verse in this section where Solomon says this. A cord of three strands is not quickly broken. Now, just like a couple of weeks ago when I preached on 1 Corinthians 13, that love chapter that's often quoted at weddings, this is often uh, a text for weddings about uh, the, the unity and the strength of a close relationship. But as you can see from our reading from this context, Solomon is not necessarily talking about marriage, he's talking about friendship. And the picture is pretty clear, it's pretty straightforward. If you have a piece of rope, it's not too hard to break that one piece of rope. But if you want to make that rope stronger, you weave another piece of rope in there. And when you put two friends together and they're weaved together, they're much stronger. But Solomon doesn't say it's just two people weaved together. He says a cord of three strands is not easily broken. So who's the third cord? Well, I'm not sure if this is exactly what Solomon had in mind, but I think we can make this case, especially as we look to the New Testament, that that third chord is our Lord God. And more specifically, again, looking at it from a New Testament perspective, it's Jesus. We need Jesus in our relationships. We need a way, a source of forgiveness, because we will hurt each other. I think about a relationship I had in college. I I was trying to make ends meet in college, and so I started working for a window cleaner. I had experience doing that in high school, and and so I started working for this guy, and he was a Christian man, and he said, you know what, Ben? If we do this long enough together, uh, we're probably going to hurt each other. We're going to upset each other, say something we don't mean, something's going to happen, and when that happens, let's make sure we forgive one another. And I thought, oh, that's kind of a strange way to start out our first day at work, but that's what he said. And he was right. About six months in, we did uh, get upset at each other about something, and yet we had that foundation where we could say, you know what? Yes, I'm sorry, and I forgive you, and we moved on. That's what we need. We need Jesus as a source of forgiveness and strength in our relationships, or they're just not going to have the durability—they're just not going to last. They're just not going to get to a certain depth. It was Jesus Himself who showed us what true friendship is when He told His disciples, "No friend or no love is greater than this than to lay down one's life for His friends." And that's what Jesus did for us. He laid down His life for us and made us friends of God. So we've got to weave Jesus into our relationships. Now, as we close down here, I want to. Give you maybe two take home points. Number one, prioritize friendship. That's not just good psychology, it, and, and it, it is the, the most important decision you can make today for your own mental and emotional health to have good friends, to not be alone, to get over that awkward initial conversations, to do things together. It's so very, very important. It's not just good psychology, though, it's also good theology. I want to let you know that as a pastor, you know, as our congregation grows and people come from all different backgrounds, I, there's nothing better for me to see than to see you connecting with other Christians here as a family believers. When I see you joining a life group or a mentoring group or or, or hanging out together. Because I know that once you do that, once you start building those relationships, you are so less easy to get picked off by Satan uh, to to grow cold. I know you're going to have resilience to get through hard times. You're not going to suffer alone. And when I see you gathering together and building those relationships, because Pastor Bill and I can't relate deeply with everybody in this congregation. When I see you joining those groups, when I see you connecting with other believers and Christians and and other people and, and, and encouraging one another, I know you're going to be all right. And so prioritize friendship. It's one of the most important decisions that you can make. But those friendships are going to get hard. And you're going to offend each other. And sometimes you're going to say the wrong thing. Or you're going to be selfish and think about yourself first. And so number two, weave Jesus into those relationships. Let Jesus give you values of what you value. That you love God and love each other. Um. Let his values and his vision for what the good life is drive that friendship. And then when you, you do hurt each other, um, you have Jesus to be that source of forgiveness and compassion. And then when you look at each other and you see something that that other person, they, they feel depressed or they feel like they don't have any worth or they don't have anything to offer, you can look at them and say, you can see the gifts that Jesus has given them. And you can say, I see something in you. And then when they are under attack, you can be there to defend them and to support them, especially attacks from the evil one. So weave Jesus into those relationships. So let me ask you again. If you had to make one life choice right now to set yourself up for future health and happiness, what would it be? Well, according to good psychology and really good theology, it would be prioritize friendship. Invest in those friends. And it's going to get hard, and it's going to take self-sacrifice, and it's going to take self-denial, and it's going to take forgiveness. And so weave Jesus into every one of those relationships. It's the most important decision you could make right now. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, when you came to this earth and you changed the world, you didn't change it through a political movement. You didn't change it through, through a business. You didn't change it uh, through power. You changed it through grabbing a few friends. And then your early followers, they followed your tradition and they, they became communities of, of, of friendship. And Lord God, help us to continue that, that tradition. Help us to to be a a family of believers, a, a group of friends that push each other, encourage each other, hold each other accountable, forgive each other, encourage one another, support each other, all based on your example, your love for us. In your name we pray, amen. Thanks for listening to the Victory Podcast, brought to you by Victory of the Lamb in Franklin, Wisconsin. For video sermon archives, more information about us, and to let us know how we can meet you where you're at, go to victoryofthelamb.com.